you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at laist.com sweeps. Hi, this is Larry Mantle, host of Air Talk on KPCC. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, we've had a daily segment on Air Talk devoted to the latest information about COVID-19. As time's gone on, we've looked at vaccines and how the virus and pandemic have affected the lives of Southern Californians. That includes doctors, nurses, epidemiologists, and other medical professionals fighting the virus on the front lines. In each episode, of this podcast, we'll speak with one of our experts on the rotating panel of AirTalk guests who will be sharing their expertise with us daily. You can also listen anytime at las.com, kpecc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. Joining us for our daily update on COVID-19 is Dr. Shruti Gohill, Professor of Medicine and Associate Medical Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention at UC Irvine's School of Medicine. Doctor, welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, this is a big week, so let's get right into it. This morning, Pfizer announced that its COVID-19 pill cut the risk of hospitalization and death by 90% in high-risk adults. The drug maker has said that it would ask the FDA to authorize the pill as soon as possible. So just to start off, what sort of impact could a pill like this have on our response to the pandemic and on our healthcare system? Oh, it's um, it's really great news. Um, if if this pill does work out to to cause um, really a reduction in the overall mortality or morbidity from the disease, it could be a true game changer. I think that's what the Pfizer CEO called, and I would I would agree if those numbers hold out to be true. Uh, we have yet to see we meaning the regular scientific community has yet to see the primary data that would allow us to be able to make this judgment, but boy. If it is true, um, we do need a pill like this. What it can do is help us um, catch people uh, at, uh, you know, from, from progressing. Just like in uh, flu, we have Oseltamivir and other t- um, medications that can help people who catch the flu, who uh, had breakthrough from uh, vaccination or um, who were never vaccinated. But one thing I do want to put out there is that while this uh, pill like this can help us, um, we do need multi-pronged strategies. Strategies. And, and part of that multi-pronged strategy does continue to include vaccination because the hope is, is that if we do, you know, you don't want to get sick. Um, if you if you do happen to get sick, we have this um, catch for you with this pill. So we don't want to um, say that this is just a wonder drug and that, it, you know, you can just wait to get COVID and then take your chances. What we find with viral diseases is that sometimes it takes time for us to um, to uh, get the care that we need, access the pill, and then by then it might be too late because this pill is best taken early in disease. And that's the same thing we see with flu. So what I'm hearing from you, doctor, is don't take this as an excuse to not take preventative measures for yourself just to make sure that maybe you don't even get COVID to begin with. Right. Well, funny enough, the last time I was on the show, doctor, it was the same day that the drug maker Merck unveiled their pill, uh, Molnupiravir. Um, Are you able to say, doctor, what the difference is between those pills? 
Well, they they work in uh, using similar strategies. Honestly, both both of them do. Um, it appears that the data um, again we haven't seen the actual data. <laughs> These are just public reports from the companies themselves. But it seems that the efficacy in the Pfizer was reported near ninety percent, and uh, I believe the Merck um, pill had had been reported in the uh, fifty to sixty percent range for efficacy. So uh, really, won't be able to know until these pills are rolled out in in the regular population as to how effective they are. Otherwise, yes, they work very similarly to the viral drugs um, that hit the protease. This is the second time I've heard you say we don't have the data yet, doctor, which leads me to wonder at what stage do doctors like you get access to the data? As soon as the companies will release, say first the process is they they will release the data to the FDA. The FDA reviews it, um, and uh, and this request for an emergency use authorization uh, is critical because that's when they submit the data to FDA. Once FDA releases um, an emergency use, that data then will be embedded in in that um, document, and then the clinical world gets to see that. Just looking at the timeline here, doctor, the Merck pill was unveiled in early October. The FDA is scheduled to meet November 30th to discuss emergency authorization. It's about a two-month window from when we found out about it to when they actually will sit down to discuss it. Is it safe to assume that we shouldn't expect the Pfizer pill until after maybe any possible wintertime surges? Ooh, yikes. Yeah, I know. I think that, that everybody wants this um, in time for the surge. And so I do think there's mobilization, uh, various levels to sort of you know, release as early as possible if safety can be, um, you know, certified. Uh, and so, yeah, the I, I think your uh, timeline is probably the more realistic one. But I think the hope is that people can do this just in time for a true surge. We are talking to Dr. Shruti Gohill. If you have questions for the doctor, we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you are a parent or a family member who took your age 5 to 11-year-old to get vaccinated this week, I want to hear from you. What was your experience like? Where did you go? How did it work? And how did you talk to your kids about it before and after? We're taking your calls at 866-893-5722. Again, that's 866-893-5722. You can also tweet us at AirTalk or send an email, atcomments at kpcc.org. I love that we take emails right now. I want to ask you, doctor, about those new vaccination, uh, the, the new group of people who are eligible for vaccinations. But before I get there. I really want to ask about this because it came up in conversation this weekend. Ivermectin, it's not remotely approved as a treatment for COVID-19. There are some studies looking into it, but NPR reports that it has become a political issue for some Republicans. So just to, to let people know where things stand right now, doctor, how does Ivermectin work and where do the studies into that drug as a treatment for COVID-19 stand as of today? <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you're bringing it up. It's um, it's clear that ivermectin does not work for COVID. Um, well, Same for the people in the back. Ivermectin <laughs> does not work for COVID. I just want to put that not, out there does again. Does not does not work for COVID. Period. End of story. It's an anti-parasite um, drug that we do use. is highly effective for parasites. Um, unfortunately, in fact, what we have seen is quite the opposite. People are getting their hands on. Uh, ivermectin some way, somehow, uh, even veterinarian dosing 
ivermectin, and then suffering great consequences, including mortalities due to liver failure and other um, major um, side effects of a drug taken um, on the wrong dose or um, uh, prolonged. There's a case of somebody who had taken the medication for up to a week or more uh, and then, you know, suffered um, uh, consequences with uh, fulminant liver failure. So there's a reason why we have the processes that we have. I know that they are boring. I know that they are laborious, but there's a reason we have the FDA. There's a reason why um, scientists do the work that they do and have to publish data with their peer groups of scientists. And when peer groups um, look at data, we look looking for bias and we're looking for um, the best information that tells us this is safe and that it actually works before human consumption. And so the, all the hoops that we have to jump through to make um, the FDA uh, EU uh, you know, emergency use authorization, for example, and then final formal approval, all of those things have been in place because of patient safety issues. So I just couldn't say more. Um, you know, Ivermectin um, is there. There's no data to substantiate that this medication works for COVID. You know, doctor, I was still pretty troubled though when I was looking up Ivermectin today. I, I Googled it, and one of the first results, you know, the suggested results that came up was where to buy Ivermectin. So I know there are people out there who are still uh, on the hunt for it, despite the fact that it does absolutely nothing to help people with COVID. Uh, saying it again for the people in the way, way back. But uh, I have to ask, because this is kind of new for us. We're not in the medical field, or at least I'm not. A lot of us aren't. But when there are illnesses that go around, is it pretty common that somebody might say, hey, I, I found a cure for it. It is, you know, A, B, and C. And it's not maybe remotely connected to the science or, or even doctors. But somebody maybe tried it out on a whim, maybe they had some results completely unscientific, and then it just kind of got around. Oh, yeah, the answer to this cold, to this illness, to this to this virus is taking A, B, and C. Is that pretty common in general over now and in medical history? Oh, yeah, it's such a, a great question. I think those who are medical history buffs will know and recognize that this is a tried and true, you know, sort of strategy um, dating back to um, for, for millennia. Because, you know, when you don't have science and you reach for whatever you can, you're trying to help yourself. You know, it's an understandable um, process. And, and the way in which, for example, herbal medicines even came to play, and some of which really may have served certain populations very well over some time until, of course, course, now we have, we know more, we understand more. Um, so the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, which, uh, what's, what's better, uh, you know, um, now and what, do, what information do we have now? But certainly, yes, in history, there have been examples, you know, you can think of the times in the 1700s and 1800s when people would um, uh, talk about using alcohol, you know, whiskey, um, uh, for treatment of antivirals, you know, influenza is a great stories about how people used home-based remedies. Um, and, and you did what you could, right, at yeah. those times. And uh, even now, people feel that you have to, quote, do what you can. But we know more now. We can do more now. And we should listen to the science. I'm going to put out the call out again because the doctor is in. If you have questions about COVID-19, we're going to take them in just a minute at 866-893-5722. Again, that's 866-893-5722 on Twitter or by email, atcomments at kpcc.org. One last question before we get to some of those listener questions, doctor, is this week vaccinations began for kids 5 to 11 years old. 
Once the Pfizer vaccine got emergency use authorization, uh, could this next phase of vaccinations be a key to helping ward off another surge this winter? Oh, gee, we really hope so, because it's true that we are seeing the um, yeah, we are seeing propagation in the younger groups that have been um, unvaccinated. And so, yes, insofar as we can minimize the progression of pathways for mutations and new type of virus that would come along, we do expect that this will help us out um, considerably. Tanya in Fountain Valley is asking about the timeline on toddlers and infants to get a vaccine. Do you have any information on that? Ah, the timeline on that one, I have to say, I... I do not know when that we, I think we're just coming off the heels of this, um, uh, the younger children age group that I believe what people are projecting is early next year uh, before we have enough enrollees and enough data to be able to, um, to say. We have a question here about the booster and it minimizing the risk of a breakthrough infection. And I want to tie this in with current events. Uh, Because it's very relevant, Uh, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti tested positive for COVID this week. Uh, He got his Moderna shots uh, earlier this year, I believe in January and February. I also got Moderna earlier in the year, a little bit later than him. Uh, But I'm sure a lot of people are wondering right now, because you are seeing some pretty prominent figures uh, getting these breakthrough infections. Does the booster minimize the risk of getting a breakthrough infection? It does appear to be minimizing the risk of getting that um, that repeat infection. We are noting that the immune system does wane after a certain period. We knew we always knew that it would, um, and just like influenza, your immune uh, system uh, antibodies will wane after after you get the vaccine, um, and uh, and every year you have to get a repeat flu shot. Well, uh, we never knew what the frequency was going to be for the for these, and we still don't for the COVID um, vaccines. Um, but there are a couple things to consider here. The issue is, what are you expecting from your vaccine? Are you expecting that you're never going to get sick? Um, or you know, even if you are given a load of uh, mutant virus, um, to uh, you know, like the new Delta virus, which is probably what's propagating um, most um, co- uh, commonly in uh, Los Angeles, for example. Um, so if you you know, if we're asking our vaccine to protect against a new mutant strain. Um, it, from you to ever even get it. That's one thing. Uh, and I don't think that's a reasonable expectation per se. You still have to put your mask on. You have to you know, minimize contact with other people. Those, those strategies still have to exist when you have a mutant strain in place, right? But are you asking the question, uh, of how sick I'm going to get? Am I going to crash and burn when I get this mutant strain? Yes mm. or no? Uh, boy, it's highly effective, isn't it? Um, and and that's what we have to. We're I think we have to realize what different vaccines can get us, and the flu vaccine every year is getting us massive reductions in mortality and morbidity, and that is what this flu, uh, the COVID vaccine is. I know the mayor did get sick. I'm hoping um, it sounds like he's doing just fine, um, and uh, and that's partly due to the uh, the waning immunity. Some immunity was, was uh, present, and the booster will get you to the place where you will get less likely sick and less likely to be hospitalized. Dr. Shruti Gohill, we have a question from JC in Agora Hills, and it kind of goes back to one of my first questions about ivermectin. JC says, my husband has ordered ivermectin to take. I'm really curious where he got it. He won't get the vaccine. 
He says it has cured so many cases in India and it's easily accessible and used. I am of the opposite opinion and cannot seem to reason it out with him. Does the doctor have any guidance on how to explain how ivermectin isn't an effective treatment to someone who truly believes it is? And I will just say it sounds a lot like JC's husband's strategy depends a lot on uh, not preventing it. It's just JC thinks that if JC's husband thinks that if he gets it, he'll just take ivermectin, which already feels extremely dangerous to me. Doctor, is there any effective way to communicate with somebody who's really convinced that ivermectin is the answer? Yeah, such an important question. Okay, so let's tackle it one by one. First of all, um, the, the studies that were done that people are propagating as a potential for why ivermectin would work um, have all been in cell cultures, what we say in the laboratory, we say in vitro studies, right? And so they're not in humans per se, um, the, the, the ones that were initially theorized as to why ivermectin could work. And, and what people have been spreading out there is that uh, when you throw ivermectin on, in a culture with um, SARS virus, it just really just, it kills it. Well, guess what? If you throw capsaicin, capsaicin is um, the chemical found in black pepper and pepper. If you throw that in there, that'll kill it too, but that doesn't make uh, it doesn't make it a, a potent um, antiviral in real life humans, right? Okay, so then now we move into human studies. Uh, that's why doctors like to see human studies. So um, of all the studies that have been completed so far, the sample size, the number of people that are involved in these trials, humans in, in them were very small. So whenever there's a small studies that you know that bias can be introduced. Um, what's really uh, striking is that people are using all kinds of different doses and different schedules of ivermectin. So you can't compare all these uh, different studies. And when they do um, the a design, the, our most powerful design is a randomized control trial, of course, where you take some who get it, some who don't get it. Um, uh, you know, placebo uh, and, and some who get the actual drug, um, usually the, you're supposed to blind the patients as to which drug they're getting. Are they getting the placebo or are they getting the, um, the, uh, the drug of uh, the treatment drug? Um, and all of the ones that have been done in ivermectin are open label. In other words, the patients are not blinded. So you can get this really, you know, sort of biased uh, response. And then um, the other major point to make is that Many of the people who were in, in, enrolled in these studies uh, were taking other medications um, that, uh, you know, doxycycline and other kinds of you know, steroids mm. and other things, and it confounded the outcome. So many, many reasons to think why the studies are just absolutely not there. So what I would say to that um, individual is, is, listen, in the meantime, you have the contra, uh, you know, the, the whole mountain of evidence on the vaccines, millions and millions and millions of people getting the vaccines. And yes, there's some breakthrough, but the vast majority are not having breakthrough and they're not getting hospitalized. Um, and, and, and that, hey, there is another pill on the horizon, to your point earlier. Um, there's a pill coming that, that actually would have presumably uh, much better data behind it than ivermectin. These are the words of Dr. Shruti Gohill, professor of medicine and associate medical director for epidemiology and infection prevention at UC Irvine School of Medicine. So, JC and Agora Hills, if your husband is not present right now, you can go online after the show, wherever you get your podcasts, find Air Talk, fast forward about 23 minutes in. Just play him, that whole beautiful part. I think that that will, that will cover so many things. We have a call from Molly in Santa Ana about her five-year-old son and the shot. 
Molly, what's happening? Um, I just wanted to share. I wanted to share my experience uh, about my five-year-old son and just talking to him about um, having to get the shot. And you know, it's a shot. No one likes getting it, especially a five-year-old. <laughs> um, so we did talk to him about kind of why it was important, and not only to protect himself from getting sick, but also to protect, you know, mommy and daddy and grandma and grandpa and maybe, um, you know, some of the other kids, his teachers, um, and, and just why that was important. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to lie, though. The thing that worked the most was the, the bribery. Hey, uh, you get a treat at the end. And then and then he was a lot more, um, uh, I don't know, inclined, I guess, <laughs> to, to get the jab. So, um yeah, we're we're proud of him that he, he made the decision to get it. Uh, we haven't yet discussed that he will need another one. <laughs> Good old bribery. It works so much of the time. So just to be clear, Molly, your son has now been vaccinated. Yes. How's he feeling right now? Fine. We sent him to school. So, <laughs> uh, you know, he acting like himself. That's great. Molly, thank you so much for giving us a call. Uh, We hope he continues to feel great. And thank you so much for taking such a great step to protect so many people around us and especially in your family. I want to also hear from Elizabeth. Elizabeth is calling from Valley Village and she took her daughter to a walk-in clinic to get vaccinated. Elizabeth, how did that go? Well, it went really well. My daughter was really excited to get her shot. She had begged me to be one of the first for that evening, and I didn't realize the walk-in clinics were already open just Tuesday night, Wednesday night, I think was the first night. And so when I picked her up from dance and I told her, I'm going to take you tomorrow morning before school, she started screaming and yelling. She was really excited, and she rolled down the windows and was like, I'm getting vaccinated. So we took her to the clinic the next morning, or I did by myself, and there was a group of kids there, and everybody was super excited, I have to say, and um, taking tons of pictures, and we were all talking and how happy we were, and I took her to school, and um, she had PE that day, so I just said, you know, if you want to sit out, you can, but she said she didn't want to. I gave her extra water. I picked her up from her play date, actually, afterwards, and she's fine. She was said her arm hurt just a little bit, but she woke up this morning, was in a great mood and ready to go. <laughs> Elizabeth, I got to say, there are probably a thousand parents out there who are thinking, how did she get her kids so excited to get a shot? Do you have any uh, tips or, or techniques that you'd like yeah, to impart on people? She has been, I'm, I didn't mean to interrupt you, she, she has been waiting and waiting. In our family, she felt the worst to have her be the last one because she's wanted to do it she's wanted to be able to participate she's wanted to be able to just be out in the world even with her mask just being safer and being vaccinated she's wanted that for the whole time oh my gosh elizabeth i'm just really curious because it sounds like she's got this well they're doing it and i want to do it too does she also eat her vegetables She does eat her vegetables. Well done, Elizabeth and Valley Village. I want to get one more, and this is Marina and Whittier. Now, Marina has not yet gotten her six-year-old vaccinated, but it's coming soon. Uh, Marina, how's that process going? How aware is your son right now? Well, um, thank you for letting me take the call. He's extremely excited. I gave him the flu shot like uh, a month ago. 
So he said it was no pain. Uh, he's really looking forward to get his vaccine, which it's going to be done next Saturday morning with one of the schools, which the city of Whittier, they've done a great job in partnering with the city of Los Angeles and getting all these kids vaccinated. I'm going to give my snaps to Whittier then. Credit where credit is due. Um, what's your son's spirits like right now? Is he excited? Is he you know, a little apprehensive? How's he feeling? Uh, he's six years old. He's in first grade. He's aware of wearing that poor little mask 24-7. <laughs> he's in school. So, uh, you know, I think once if everyone can get vaccinated, I think we can reach immunity and, you know, Everyone can do whatever they want, but that's the only way um, we're going to be able to beat this disease. Um, My daughter got vaccinated uh, back in the summer before school started. She had no symptoms. And how old was your daughter? Excited. My daughter's 12 years old. Wow. So everybody's vaccinated, vaccinated family now, Marina? I'm sorry? Is everybody now vaccinated in the family? Everybody is vaccinated. And, you know... I lost my older sister to COVID. She was 52 years old. She had no underlying conditions, extremely healthy. So, I mean, I know what this disease can do. So um, it can attack anybody. And, you know, I think if everyone will get vaccinated, I think it will help. So this is very personal for you, Marina. And thank you so much for sharing that with us. And my condolences for that. But... I think there's, uh, we almost should have like a sound effect we play when you said everybody's vaccinated in the family. That's a really wonderful thing. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing so much with us. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, you are listening to Air Talk here on 89.3 KPCC. We have been hearing from some wonderful parents who have either taken their children to get vaccinated or who are planning to get that done soon. We've also been hearing from Dr. Shruti Gohill, Professor of Medicine and Associate Medical Director for Epidemiology and Infection Prevention at UC Irvine's School of Medicine. Doctor, I wish we could keep you all show, but we got to let you go. But thank you so much for for giving us more uh, knowledge and insight and also for clearing up some stuff for, I'm sure, a handful of people about ivermectin and how not to use it. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of COVID in L.A. If you'd like to stay up to date with the latest coronavirus news, you can listen anytime at las.com, at kpcc.org, or subscribe wherever you download podcasts. See you next time and stay safe. I'm Larry Mantle. This program is made possible in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, a private corporation funded by the American people.